Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. First Peter 2. Well, I started a couple weeks ago, I started a series, Faith Under Fire, Living for Christ in a Hostile World. Like We are in a hostile culture. It's here. And though it, it may not be as difficult as it's going to be, it is still heading in that direction. And, and Peter wrote the book of First Peter to the church at Rome, which was already in a hostile culture. It's going to be three years from now. Peter's going to give his life for the gospel's sake in Rome. Nero crucifies him upside down. And so Peter knows what it's like. Persecution is already there. Persecution is intensifying. And that's kind of where we are. Persecution in the culture, uh, the culture in general, is turning against Christianity. And there's almost this cry of anything but Christ going on in our culture. And, and you just watch the news and see it. I don't, I don't know if you saw this article the other day. I kind of saved it for today. It happened a couple of weeks ago that, hey, listen, you do know, if you don't mind looking at me, you do know Everything in this Bible is true. Can I get an amen right there? Like It's all true. All the stories really happened. What God said happened, happened. What Genesis, uh, the, Bible, the earth was and the world was made in six days and God rested. That's all true. In the beginning, God. God said, uh, listen, no, I don't, I do believe in a big bang theory. A great big God said bang and there it was and that's it. It happened in Genesis, happened in Genesis 1. The story about Jesus, they're true in the Gospels. But, but it, if the devil wanted to do anything to attack our faith, it would be to get rid of the Bible or to water down the Bible. Well, just the other day, this man I have on the screen at the World Economic Forum, Yuval Noah Harari, who is a homosexual Israeli author and a historian who's mostly an atheist, talked about having AI rewrite the Bible. And he said, I don't know who this guy is. Well, he's considered by many to be one of the most influential intellectuals in the world. His books have sold over 45 million copies worldwide, and they've been recommended by very influential people such as Barack Obama, Bill Gates, and many more. So I want you to hear closely what he said at the World Economic Forum just two weeks ago. He's talking about artificial intelligence, and he said it's the first technology ever that can create new ideas. You know, the printing press, radio, television, they broadcast, they spread the ideas created by the human brain, but by the human mind. They cannot create a new idea. You know, Gutenberg printed the Bible, now now we've moved talking about the Bible. In the middle of the 15th century, the printing press printed as many copies of the Bible as Gutenberg instructed it, but did not create a single new page. Well, now what is he talking about, creating a new page? Well, he elaborates. It had no ideas of its own about the Bible. Is it good? Is it bad? How do I interpret this or how to interpret that? AI, artificial intelligence, can create new ideas. 
It can even write a new Bible. Throughout history, religions dreamt about having a book written by a superhuman intelligence by non-humanity. Well, can I just say this? We have that book already. It's called the Bible. I don't need a new one. I don't want one written by a computer. I want one written by God. I've got it. I don't need his. But listen to this last paragraph, which is so dangerous. He said, in a few years, there might be a religions, there might be religions that are actually, hear the language, correct. Just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI that could be a reality in a few years. A religion that's actually correct. You need to hear what he's saying and hear what he's not saying. He's telling us that our Bible that we hold dearly, a word from God is not correct. Why? Because it's not inclusive enough to include their sin. And okay it. So what they're looking for is a, is a holy book that will include and indulge every sin mankind wants. And by the way, if you've ever read the book of the Revelation and you read about the great harlot in the book of the Revelation, we used to think that was certain denominations or this or that. It very well may be a holy religion or an unholy religion written by artificial intelligence that the whole world bows down to. You say that would never happen. Read the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, the whole world was required to bow down to the image. Four guys didn't do it. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel. So that's where we are. That's where we are. So Peter, writing that culture, by the way, that's where they were. They had to bow down to Nero and Christians or to the, to, to the Caesar, the emperor, and people, Christians were losing their lives because they would not bow down. And that's who Peter is writing to in 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want to preach on that today, a, a sermon entitled, Be a Prepper. And that'll make sense when I get into it. I, I won't ask you to raise your hands because I don't want to embarrass you or, or, or call you out. You wouldn't, you wouldn't tell me the truth anyway because you don't want anybody to know but I wonder how many of you are preppers. Now, now when I say prepper, you, you, know, you know what I mean. People that are getting ready for doomsday, you know, whether that be a supply chain failure or whether that be, you know, economic failure or in all probability, it'll just be zombies. You know, zombie uh, takeover. How many of you are prepping for a zombie takeover? And some of you can laugh if you want to, but I mean, I, I mean, like, I went all in on Y2K. I had peanut butter for 20 years after Y2K uh, that we had stored up. I mean, that, that it, it's a little stiff, man, 20 years later, but whatever. We, we, we prepped. We prepped. Uh, FEMA tells us that the world is becoming more and more of a prepper, especially in the United States. They did a household analysis, and uh, they defined self-reliant or prepped. They call that a resilient citizen. They call that, how do you know if I'm prepped? If you can survive on your own, for at least 31 days, they consider you a resilient citizen or prepped. They say, FEMA says, 3.8% of households were prepped in 2017, 45 in 2018, 5.2 in 2019. That means at least 7 million 
out of the 120 households in the U.S. are prepared. If we conservatively assume 1.5 adults, that's very conservative per household, that means there are at least 10, maybe 20 million Americans that are prepped for that doomsday disaster. And 31% of preppers are women. And FEMA thinks that number is growing. Self-reliant folks, this is interesting, make more money. Preppers make more money than other people, about 10% more. But they set aside over 60% more for uh, e- emergencies because they're, they're uh, prepping for that emergency. So there are, there's a growing number of Americans that are prepared for disaster. Now what Peter's trying to do in 1 Peter chapter 2 is prep us for spiritual disaster because as a child of God, you should be getting ready for something as well. Your faith is coming under fire. And hear me this morning, you will not be a super Christian when the time comes unless you are getting ready now. And here's what we, we think. We think, well, when the time comes, preacher, I'll stand up to the test. Listen, you will not be prepared then if you are not getting prepared now. I mean, you know that's true even for preppers. Let me illustrate this way. Let me tell you this way. Have you ever tried to go to the store to buy groceries right after they've predicted snow? You say, well, I'll just get it when snow's coming. No, you won't. Not in this area, you won't. It's all gone. Those of you old enough to remember the blizzard of 93, my wife called me on the way home. It was my last day on a job. I was starting a new job on Monday. My wife called me on the way home. Well, called me before I left work. Didn't have cell phones. Called me before I left work. She said, you probably need to stop and get some food on your way home. We don't have a lot. And I'm like, we're fine. It's not going to snow. It never snows. I always say snow. It never snows. It's not going to snow. I'll get out tomorrow. She's like, well, just stop and get something. Uh, and and I, I went to go buy the little stop and rob next to our house. And w- when I went there, it was just packed. It was just packed. And I need to put gas in the car. I had no gas in the car. They, were, they, they couldn't even get to the gas line. So I walked into the gas station and bought uh, what they had. I think I bought a loaf of bread, a small jar of peanut butter, and two boxes of microwave popcorn. Which, come to find out, uh, bread and peanut butter freezes when you don't have electricity in your house and it's cold. And so does uh, and microwave popcorn is useless without electricity. So I'm just telling you, if you're not prepared beforehand, it's too late to get prepared when the time comes. And what Peter's trying to tell us is in these first 10 verses of chapter 2, he's like, it's too late when persecution comes, when the culture turns against you, when your faith is under fire. It's too late to get ready then. You've got to get prepared now. Now. Well, how do you be a spiritual prepper? Well, stand with me as we read the Word of God because he tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, and if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. Let's uh, quickly read the first 10 verses of 1 Peter chapter 2. He says this, Therefore, verse 1, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the Word so that by it you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God. You yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house, are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, see, 
I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe. But for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. And a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobeyed the word. They were destined for this. But you, 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 you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thank you. You may be seated. Try to spiritually prep for difficult times. I want to say this. The culture, the evidence is all around us that the culture is turning against us. But the Bible tells us this. Know this, that in the last time, uh, evil seducers will wax worse and worse. Like our culture is not really going to get better. I mean, we may elect a better government, and it may get better for a while. But over time, it is going to get worse and worse and worse. And we're just seeing the beginning birth pains of a culture that is turned against Christianity. How do we prepare for that? Well, Peter tells us three things, how to prep, how to be a prepper for those times. Number one is this. He said, if you want to prep, there's some things that have got to go. Some things that have got to go. Look at verse number one. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And the word rid yourselves there. Listen, when you are a prepper, you learn to get rid of the non-essentials. If you say, preacher, you, you talk, I'm going to go home and I'm going to start prepping 31 days. I'm going to get 30. You know what you're not going to go buy? You're not going to go buy designer handbags. You know why? In the zombie apocalypse, that means nothing. Matter of fact, I, I mean, I can get on this tangent. I, I mean, I, I've been reading about prepping stuff for years and years and years. My mind just kind of goes that way. And, and uh, uh, if, I, if I have anxiety from the enemy, it's in the middle of the night, me wondering if I got enough, you know, peanut butter and rice stored up for enough 31 days, you know, that, I kind of think that way. And, and I read, you know, what's valuable. It's amazing what's not going to be valuable when, when you get to that doomsday scenario. Designer bags are not going to be valuable. Um, computers are not going to be valuable. As a matter of fact, if you read most blogs, they'll tell you aside from food, m money will, will not be valuable. And, and as a matter of fact, they say the currency that you should deal in and what you should store up in your house to use as currency is cigarettes and alcohol. Because people... They're going to smoke and they're going to drink when times get bad. So if you see me at the package store, it's all for prepping. I'm not, I'm not, that's a joke, that's a joke. Um, uh, I send Sherry to the package store. I don't go. Um, um, it's a joke, it's a joke, it's a joke, it's a joke. Because why? The non-essentials don't matter in the doomsday scenario. Peter's trying to tell us here in verse number one, the non-essentials don't matter, that if you want to prep for your faith being under fire, there are some things that are not going to matter, some things that are going to slow down your Christian life, some things that are going to hinder your faith. And here's what Peter said, you must rid yourself. That word rid yourself is used other places in the New Testament 
for taking a garment off or taking clothes off. And Peter said, there's some things just like taking a robe off or taking a shirt off. There's some things you've got to set aside because in this hostile culture that we live in, it's just going to be ridiculous to have these things in your life. Well, what are these things, he says, are ridiculous. First of all, there's the word malice. It is the word kakos in the Greek. And, and I'm going to do something I almost never do. I'm going to lean in on that Greek word just for a moment because it means evil, wrongdoing, bad, harm. As a matter of fact, one uh, derivative of this word in the Greek is a, is a word called kakodaimon. It literally means evil demon or harmful demon. And the Greeks use this word, kakodaimon, in secular writing all the time. As a matter of fact, one of the greatest tragedians of the age Asophocles wrote a play called Ajax, and in the play, Ajax, the main character, has a caicodaemon on his shoulder all the time, and the caicodaemon is constantly whispering in his ear to do wrong, whispering in his ear to do evil. It's so much so that Ajax eventually commits suicide because this demon is whispering in his ear all the time for him to do it. So we get the idea, you've seen it in movies yourself, where there's an angel on one shoulder whispering for you to do good, and there's a there's a demon on the other, other shoulder, usually red with a pitchfork or something like that, whispering for you to do evil. Well, that comes straight from the Greek language. It is a kakodaimon. It is an evil demon. That's the word used right here of malice. And he's saying to us that, that there are some things that you've got to set aside there, are, there is this sinful life, there's these sinful things, malice that is evil, that is harmful, that is wrong. You've got to let it go. Think, you say, well, how do I get rid of that part of my life? Uh, Paul would tell you, be filled with the Spirit of God. Lay it aside. But then he uses some other words. He says deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander. Deceit means trickery. It means not being authentic or not being genuine. I'm, I'm going to tell you the Greek word one more time because I'm going to refer to it in, in, in point number two. But in point number one, that word uh, deceit is the word dolos. The word dolos means not genuine or trickery or deceitful. And it was used of the Trojan horse. You know the story. And it was said it was a... It was dolos, it was trickery. So, so, so Peter's telling us uh, an evil lifestyle's got to be put down. A hypocritical lifestyle's got to put, be put down. A fake lifestyle, literally, has got to be put down. And then he goes straight to the word hypocrisy. It was the word used of actors in the day. He said you've got to put down play acting, pretense, outward shows of Christianity, not genuine. And so these two words are kind of the overarching words of the whole verse that Peter is telling you that and me that we've got to lay down a non-genuine lifestyle. We've got to take off a deceitful lifestyle. That we cannot have envy in our lives. And that word envy there means displeasure at someone else's success or happiness that you've got to get rid of slander. Uh, it's the word used for gossip. All those things have to do with hypocrisy and not being genuine in our lives. And so Peter says this, here's what's got to go out of your life. 
the pretense of Christianity has got to go out of your life. Because here is the truth for most of us, that we are a better Christian on Sunday than we are in reality. And so Peter's trying to tell you that if you want to prep for a culture that's going to turn hostile, a fake Christianity won't work. A Christianity with no substance won't work. A, a, a Christianity that looks good on Sunday but smells bad on Monday will not work. That when persecution comes, that when a test comes, that when difficulties comes, if you don't have the real deal going on, if you're hypocritical, if you're not genuine, here's what's going to happen. Your faith will crumble. If what's on the outside does not match what's on the inside, if what I show to people is not really what I got going on with God, listen to me, when it's put to the test, your faith will crumble. And so the hypocrisy and the deceit, the dolos, got to go. Men, I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to give you a test. How many men in the room are six feet tall or taller? Let me see your hand. Six feet tall or taller. Right? Mo a, a bunch of us, right? It, they recently did a study. They asked 200,000 men. And here's how they self-reported. 33% said they were six feet tall or taller. They measured them. Fourteen and a half percent were six feet tall or taller. Why do men lie? Because here's what men think. Men think women prefer tall men to short men, so most men lie about their height, claiming to be on average two inches taller than they actually are. So if you're single ladies and you're looking through Tinder, and he says six feet tall, he ain't. You don't weigh 115 pounds either. Same study said women lie about their weight by an average of about 15 pounds. So, Look in the mirror before you point your fingers. If you live in a glass house, don't throw stones, right? Why, why do men lie? We want to be taller. And women lie. They want to be thinner, and all that works great. Until you step on a scale, or you stand next to somebody that's six feet tall. Or somebody takes out a ruler and measures. All that works fine. Men, you can be 5'8 and tell people you're six feet tall all day long and nobody cares until you get measured. And then the truth is revealed. The farce holds up, ladies, until you step on a scale. Or maybe you stand next to someone that's six feet tall. It's all fun and games until you're put to the test. And that's true about your faith. Did you know that you can hold on to the deceit until your faith is put to the test. And I'm telling you, when that happens, it will fall apart. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed over my lifetime, over the years, that the loudest Christians often are the weakest Christians. That when you're going through a hard time, 
they send you texts and they call you and they say out loud, just be strong, just trust Jesus. But when they get bad news from the doctor, their faith falls apart. Because it's easy to be a Christian when everything's going well. And Peter's trying to tell us that there is coming a culture that is going to put your uh, faith to the test. And if you are deceitful, dolos, if you are a hypocrite, uh, you are going to fail the test of Christianity. And so Peter is saying this, there's some things that's got to go. You've got to get the hypocrisy out of your life because it won't pass the test. I mean, Judas looked like a good apostle until he was put to the test. And Ananias and Sapphira looked like good church members until they were put to the test. And when your faith is under fire, it will, hypocrisy and non-genuineness will crumble. And you say, but preacher, when it really gets tough, I'll be there. No, you won't. You won't. One thing to tithe when there's plenty of money in the bank. It's another thing to tithe when there's the money's gotten tight. And if you don't tithe in this economy, you're never going to when your faith is put to the fire. It's one thing to come to church when you get celebrated for coming to church. But if you won't come to church now, what are you going to do when it's outlawed to come to church? It's one thing to be a witness when times are good, but if, if you're not going to witness and invite somebody to church now, you think you're going to when it's your life is on the line? I mean, that's where we get the word martyr from. You say, well, when times get tough, I'll read my Bible and I'll pray and I'll get close to God. Really? When this book you hold in your hand, and by the way, you, you need to make sure you have plenty of paper copies of the Word of God because digitally it may be gone one day. Listen, if you don't get up an hour early to read your Bible and pray and walk with God now, you're going to when it's illegal? That is hypocrisy. That is not genuine. And Peter said, listen, that's got to go. You can't be the kind of Christian that looks great on Sunday but looks terrible on Monday. You can't be that kind of Christian. You can't be the kind of Christian that's just putting on a show because when, when the faith is under fire, you will crumble. And if you're not going to do it now, is our faith under fire? Yes, it is. But it's nothing compared to what's coming one day. And if we can't do it now, it's not going to happen then. Peter said this. There's some of you here this morning. Your, your faith is not genuine. It's not as strong as you portray it to be. You're not, you don't walk with God as much as you think the preacher uh, think uh, as, as, as much as you make the preacher think it does or the deacons think you do or your friend or your wife or your husband it, like you're not walking with God and you know it and you alone know it that, that's deceit that's hypocrisy and behind all that deceit there's malice and there's envy and there's slander going on listen to me that will not survive the fire if you won't walk with God now you will not walk with God then. that's what's got to go
Number two, he's told us what's got to grow. Like newborn infants desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your own salvation if you tasted that the Lord is good. So how do we get that genuineness in the Bible? How do we get the genuineness about our Christian life? So Peter deals with hypocrisy and he says, don't be a hypocrite, be genuine. Well, how do we do that? Well, he goes on in verses 2 and 3 to tell us and he gives us these phrases that we need to pay attention to. First of all, he says like newborn infants. Now Paul in um, Hebrews talks about baby Christians and mature Christians. That's not what Peter's doing. Peter's telling us we all ought to be like a newborn baby. And what should we do as a newborn baby? We ought to desire the pure milk of the word. Well, the word desire there is the word crave. Now, you've had, if you've been a parent before and you've had a baby, you know this, when a baby doesn't get fed, it lets you know, doesn't it? How It cries. It wails. It, 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 it is desiring to be fed. And so Peter says, you want to grow in your faith like a new baby, you have to crave God's word. You've got to desire God's word. And then he uses that word, that phrase, pure milk of the word. Now, again, interesting. I told you I'd bring you back around to this Greek word. The word pure there is uh, the word adolos. Now, in the Greek, if you want to cancel out a word, or make it the opposite meaning, you put alpha in front of it, the, the letter A in front of it, and it cancels out the word. So remember I said the word dolos meant deceit back in verse number one, and that's how it's translated. But here it's the word adolos, so it means the opposite of deceit. So you always see it translated to be uh, genuine or the real thing, or some, some, some translations use the word sincere. And he's talking about the, the Word of God, that you ought, to, uh, you ought to crave the sincere, honest Word of God. And I want to tell you something about the Bible. Listen, the Bible is not going to coddle your feelings. It's going to tell you the truth. Why is it telling us the truth? Here's what he says. So you may grow up in your own salvation. Did you know just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you grow in your faith? You say, preacher, I've been saved 50 years. 30 years, 10 years, doesn't mean anything. Because you don't grow just because you're saved. You grow in direct proportion to the amount of time you spend in the Word of God. And Peter said the way you get a genuine faith is you crave the Word of God so that you can grow up in your own salvation. Here's what he said. If you taste that the Lord is good, he's quoting right out of Psalm, uh, the book of Psalms where it says, uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. And here's what he's saying. I, I, I often say this about the Bible. People say, how do I start reading my Bible? And here's what I always say. If you'll get into the Bible, the Bible will get into you. What do you mean? That when you start reading your Bible, it, it, it'll be laborious in, in the beginning. But once you see the Word of God come alive in your life, then you, you'll start craving the Word of God. You taste and see that the Lord is good. That, that's what he's saying. So here, here's what Peter's saying. What's got to grow? You don't need to be testing out your faith when the heat is on. You need to have already done that. How do I already grow my faith? You must be in the Word of God on a regular basis in order for your faith to grow. The Word of God, how does that grow me? The Word of God doesn't conform to what I feel. It doesn't change for me. Get this, I change for it. As I change for it, I grow and I get a faith that can stand the fire. Weak faith 
is one that is always conforming the Bible to my personal feelings and beliefs. And a strong faith is one that conforms my feelings and my actions to the Bible. Weak faith can't handle the truth. You say, how do I know if I have a weak faith? If you've ever started a sentence with this phrase, well, I know the Lord wants me to be happy. You probably have a weak faith because the Bible doesn't talk about happiness near as much as it talks about holiness. And God says happiness comes through holiness, not from treating God as a genie in a bottle to give you whatever you want. And you can live in denial and just keep trying to conform, find a Bible verse to fit what you believe, or you can read the Word of God, face the truth, and change your life to conform to what God says. I, I told this to my Bible study class one Wednesday night that um, I got my first checkbook when I was about 14 years old. I got my first job when I was 14 years old, and I got my first checkbook, and nobody taught me how to keep a check register. Maybe they did you, but I, I didn't know Nobody told me in high school. My parents didn't tell me. Like, I didn't know. I kind of figured it out a little bit myself. But I, I didn't do a good job because the time I was 16, 17, uh, there just came a day I, I bounced a couple of checks. I didn't know what I was doing, man. This thing is messed up. So I tried to fix it. I couldn't figure it out. I, I wasn't reconciling every month. I still keep a check registered to this day, and I wasn't reconciling. And so I showed up, First National Bank of Chatsworth. And I stood in line, walked up to the teller. I handed her my check register, and I said, here's what's happening. I don't know how much money I have in the bank. I don't know how to do this. Can y'all help? And she looked it over, and she said, well, hey, leave it, leave it with me a couple days. Come back. I'll fix it for you, and, and we'll, get it all, we'll get it all right. She said, I don't know how much money I have or don't have, apparently don't have. And so I left it with her a couple days. I came back after high school a couple days later. She said, um, I'm going to need a couple more days. And I left it with her a couple days. It was a little over a week later. I went back to her. She met me at her little desk over to the side. She said, Joel, I'm going to just be honest. This is the biggest mess I've ever seen in my life. I couldn't figure it out. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to start over. And she sat me down and taught me how to balance a checkbook. Now listen, I had two options in that moment. Because when I saw how much she had in my bank account, it sure did not seem like much money. I could have said to her, I reject your truth of what money is in my banking account. My truth says I've got ten times that in my account. I'm just going to keep writing checks based on my amount. And I'm going to stick my head in the sand and just pray God bails me out of whatever mess I get into. Was that going to work? No. But that's how most Christians try to live their lives. I reject the truth of God. I may be saved. But I'm not going to live. I'm not, I'm not going to live like a Bible Christian. I'm going to look for a verse and, and I'm going to say God wants me to be happy instead of holy and and listen, I'm telling you, when your faith is put to the fire, that will not stand up. 
The pure word of God will be honest with you when you don't have a friend that will be honest with you. The pure word of God will be honest with you when you don't have a family member that will be honest with you or a co-worker that will be honest with you. The Bible says the word of God is like looking into a mirror and it will show you everything wrong and every blemish you have and then it will beg you to correct all of that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, you want a growing faith? You've got to take every decision to the Bible and find out what God says. You want a growing faith? Listen to this. This, this, is, this is going to be a revelation right here. You've got to take every feeling to the Bible and see what God says. Every feeling. You want a growing faith? You've got to take every thought to the Bible and see what God says. You want a growing faith? You've got to take every sin to the Bible and see what God says. You want a growing faith? You've got to take every shortcoming to the Bible and see what God says. And it's only through that that my faith grows. And when the test comes then, it's only then I have a pure and a genuine and a non-hypocritical faith. You're not going to grow when times get tough. If you aren't growing now. So Peter tells us what's got to go and he tells us what's got to grow. And number three, I'm finished. He tells us what's got to show. Verses four through ten, seven verses. Now, I'm going to have to run through these because here's, here's what he tells us. He tells us Christ is the foundation of our faith and he calls Christ the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation that Christianity is built on. He goes on to say we're cornerstones laid on top of the chief cornerstone, but he is the centrality of our faith and have you ever noticed this in the world that every religion is acceptable but christianity you know i talked about that dodgers thing the other day the sisters of perpetual sin or whatever they were called and and they were mocking jesus christ on a cross do you know the, what the uproar would have been if they'd been doing that about buddha or muhammad you notice every religious figure is acceptable but Jesus, why? Because he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father by, but by him. He is the cornerstone of our faith, and the devil hates that. And Peter came along and not only said he's the cornerstone, but he said this about us. So if Christ is the cornerstone, what does that mean for me? Well, he said, you are a chosen race, quoting out of Isaiah, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What am I supposed to do in my life? You should put on proudly, put on display our loyalty and our allegiance to Christ. A faith that would stand the fire isn't afraid to let the world know that you are a follower of Jesus. Our job is to proclaim his praises and show the world and if you're afraid to show the world now that you follow Christ, when it's your, when it's worst, keep in mind I told you the book of First Peter was written to the Roman church. Already, already, they were paying higher taxes than the rest of the, than non-Christians. So if you claim to be a Christian, fine, we're going to tax you more. Already, people were uh, canceling to use our culture's language they were counseling canceling their businesses and not shopping there because they claim Christ 
They don't want to confuse with Christianity at all. Already they're giving their lives because they claim Christ. And, and if, you, if you won't show the world you're a Christian now, are you going to then? No, you're not. Hold your Bibles, I'm finished. Uh, um, I lost my wedding ring the other day. Uh, I, I, t- I took it off. Uh, and look, look, I know y'all get tired of hearing the... Uh, Love Shack story, I'm not going to tell it again. If you've never heard me talk about how I fell in love with my wife, hang around. I'll do it again. Uh, I, I thought you got tired of hearing it. Every time I tell the story, I get emails and texts from people saying, no, keep telling it, keep telling it. We love to hear it. But I won't tell you again. But we dated about four years and got married. We were just babies when we got married. I was 20. She was 19. And I always tell her I wasted 20 years of my life not being married to her. I wish I could have married her earlier. But I, um, I lost my wedding ring the other day. July 16, 1988, we got married. And this is not the original ring. Uh, I had my grandfather's ring, and and uh, but on my 25th wedding anniversary, she gave me this one. And I, we were somewhere the other day, and I took it off, laid it down so I wouldn't lose it, and then I forgot I took it off and laid it down. I lost it. I literally, two days later, just was in the same spot. For, I couldn't find my ring and put my hand down, and I put it on top of my ring. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah that's where it was. I remember. Lost it again the same day. Found it at my daughter's house on Josh's nightstand. Not sure how that happened. Anyway, I got it back. What if when we got married, July 16th, 1988, Smyrna Baptist Church, Chatsworth, Georgia, she slipped that ring on my finger. What if I'd left the church that day in celebration? We got on our honeymoon in Gatlinburg, Georgia. And I said, hey, let, let, let's go out to eat tonight. We got a nice reservation at the Cracker Barrel tonight. Let's go out to eat tonight. And uh, I said, but listen, if you don't mind, I'm going to take this off and I'm going to put it in my pocket. She might have said, why? Because you don't want to lose it. And I'm like, no, I just, I, there's no need to tell people we're married, is there? I mean, I don't want all the other girls to know I'm not married, I, that I'm married, right? I'm just going to keep it in my pocket. When we're in public, I'm going to keep it in my pocket. But now when we go home, I want you to know, <laughs> I'm going to put it right back on. Let me just say this. I wouldn't have been available for a 25th wedding ring to be given to me if that's how I'd acted. Why? Because the marriage wouldn't have lasted past the honeymoon. But yet that's how we treat Christ. Jesus said, Luke chapter 9, For whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and that of the Father and the Holy Angels. I can't even tell you for sure what that means. I know for sure I don't want to be one in that I don't want to be one of that number. I don't want to be in that group that was ashamed of Jesus and his words and ashamed of him you won't show the world Christ today you're not going to be proud to be a Christian then. we used to sing an old hymn have you remember this hymn stand up for Jesus y'all, y'all remember that hymn man I wish I could sing I wish I could but you remember it if you know it help me a little bit you should go something like this stand up stand up for Jesus ye soldiers of the cross Lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer long. 
we used to write hymns, we knew the day was coming. When we'd have to be a soldier of the cross. That day's here. And if you want to prep for the worst of times, you need to do it in the best of times. Some things have got to go. You need to grow. And you need to show the world. Whether it's at your school, your job, your family, or just out in the culture. I've had people say to me, stand with me, I'm finished. I, I'm just going to ramble. I haven't preached in two weeks, so I'm, I'm rambling today. But I've had people out in the community say this to me. About people at Peabody. Say, oh, I work with those so-and-so. I've worked with him 10 years, never even knew he went to church somewhere. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that great message. I'm loving this series, Faith Under Fire, and how can we engage culture and how can we stand firm in our faith uh, in, in a culture that is so anti-Christian. And uh, today, as Pastor Joel talked about being a prepper, getting prepared for, um, for what's coming, what's here and what's coming, and uh, man, there, there are some things that we need to let go of in our lives. There's some things that need to grow within us. And, um, and, and so we, we just need to prepare our hearts and live our lives in such a way to see those things happen and make those things happen. And so maybe you have a decision to make. Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to make right with God. Maybe there's some things that need to change. Maybe there's some things that you need to start showing in your faith as you live in a culture that is anti-Christian. And so maybe you have some decisions to make that way. Or maybe today uh, God is speaking to your heart about making that decision to make Him the Lord and Savior of your life. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and there's nothing you can do to fix your problem with sin. It's not your fault, really. Start in the Garden of Eden. And ever since then, all of us have been born with a sin nature. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day, paying the penalty for your sin. And then you confess him as your personal Lord and Savior. If God spoke in your heart and that's the decision that you need to make today, simply tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, paying the penalty for my sin. And Lord, right now, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, click on the link that we've just dropped in the chat box because here's the deal. We want to celebrate with you and we want to help you take next steps on your faith journey. You can't do this by yourself. And so we want to send you some resources and help you take those next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. It's been great to be together this morning. Um, and uh, I hope that you have a great week. God bless you. We'll see you next week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.